The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling, is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Well, welcome into another episode of the Story World Podcast. Steve Schramm here with my boy Al. What's up, Al? How you doing, Steve? I uh, I wish that people could see our little warm up beforehand. Um, it gets a little crazy going as we uh, yeah for it yeah podcast episodes. Yeah, you know what? We should start. Like I said, remember how I said like the first thirty seconds are like what's supposed to hook people. We should just always hook people with a blooper reel from our warm up. <laughs> I agree. Right? It's always good. Get into it. Hey, did you see the latest comment on our YouTube channel? I didn't. It's really. Let's, I don't know let's how re, to, re, read I, it aloud. Read it aloud. I don't know how, how to feel about it. I don't know how to feel about. It. I hope. I hope oh, this okay, person. I hope, <laughs> this person <laughs> I hope this person, whoever it is, is watching. Do you have it in front of you? You want to read I it do. for us? So, read uh, it for the audience. I'll. It's it's public, so I'll say the person's username too. If you're if you're watching, I'll go for it. Uh, go for it, Genie. I want to say it's Genie, uh, Genie B five two one eight. I'm curious. It's. I'm curious if Steve does cartoon voiceover with the hmm emoji. If he doesn't, he could. I'm not sure whether to cry, to be angry, or to start a business. I'm really I, not sure which uh, one. His, comment, historically, I start the, businesses. Uh, I, appropriate, it was on the Michael Heiser um, podcast, so those two subjects relate very well. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Steve, maybe you have another calling there. Yeah, that's it. I can't believe it. I have never considered that. Well, Jeannie... Five two one eight six zero seven nine four two five. Whoever you are, I um I have never done cartoon voiceovers, and I'm not sure how I feel about your comment. Uh, but I, if you meant it as a compliment, then thank you. If you didn't, then um I don't know I don't know how I can help you. I'm terribly sorry. Uh, you'll be the first to know if I decide to go down that career path. Maybe I have found my calling. So uh, fun <laughs> stuff. If the, if you if you fail at uh, being a cartoon voiceover, perhaps you could do um. Uh, um, puppeteering, so uh, puppeteering, yeah, that, uh, ventriloquism and all that. Yes, yeah, I mean, I, I learn how to learn how to throw my voice, my annoying cartoon voice, into other places. Your Absolutely. line of work. Have you? Uh, we are going down rabbit rabbit trails already at the beginning, but that's okay. So, that's have you? Good. Have you? Are you familiar with the Dark Crystal movie as well as the uh, the new series on Netflix? I say it's new. It's like three years old now. Dark it, Crystal. No, I. I was almost going to say it's a cartoon, but it's not. They probably use some CGI for things, but it's mostly, um, you have to look it up. It's a fantasy thing, but they use puppets. And it's set in a fantasy world. It is what, it's one of my favorite um, movies and shows. And it's just, it's incredible. The, the amount I of actually think you told it. me about this. I think you might have showed did. me this before now that you mentioned if it. You yeah. just, you didn't even have to watch the show to pre. If you just look up um, the Dark Crystal Netflix show behind the scenes, um, it's incredible. Um, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Have to check that out. Anyway, so what is our topic for tonight, Steve? Let's get on track. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we are on the third episode now of our series on the parables. And in this one, we're talking about the parable of the mustard seed. And just like a mustard seed, this is one of the shorter parables that we have, one of the smaller ones in the Bible. And so uh, still, even though it is a small parable, like the mustard seed, it packs a big yeah. punch like the mustard oh, tree. No, no. I'm not sure how much further I can carry this. So um, I'm going to turn it back over to you over. and hopefully you can rescue it. No, it sounds good. So it's only two verses. I encourage you, though, to read the whole <laughs> chapter. It's actually a really interesting chapter. There's, I don't, I'm not going to count about, I don't know, four or so parables, maybe four or five parables in this chapter. Uh, but we're just going to take the two verses that deal with the mustard seed in Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32. It says, he, talking about Jesus, presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. And that is the parable of the mustard seed. Very small, mm -hmm. neat, and tidy. Alex, Alex, my, my goodness, Alex, this disproves the entire Bible. Do you know that the... The Bible is not true because Jesus, the Son of God, ought to know that the mustard seed is not actually the smallest of all seeds. Alex, how answer you? God isn't real. Jesus isn't real. The mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds. What do you say? It is probably the greatest challenge to the Bible that... I have ever heard, um, it, and it's all forget the problem of evil. Have forget, you heard about the, the mustard problem, seed? Yeah, forget the problem of evil and all that. It's the it's really what comes out of the mustard seed. Um, yeah, so I gotta for everyone for anyone who actually is there might be people who actually are like, hey, you know, I, I what what is the answer to that? It is kind of weird how we said it's the smallest seed, but of course it's not. There's a couple different answers for. It. I'll get mine. See, maybe you have a different take on it. Um, I like one example. Um, is that like for that time, I'm not a historian or anything. So, but for that time, uh, the mustard seed was the smallest seed um, that the people in that area or general vicinity um, actually like farmed to, to grow things. And so yeah. um, in the verse, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds. So from the fields that were grown whenever they grew in that time in that area, the mustard seed would be the smallest seed that they that they would actually plant and grow in. So just a simple explanation. I think that probably is the explanation, but I'm sure there's others if you if you have it. Yeah. No, one hundred percent. No, that that definitely is the most immediate, um uh contextually appropriate explanation. Uh, there's another one that I'll go into here in just a second. But um it, just a point. I, I know I was being a little bit facetious earlier. Um, but there really are people who make claims like that, right? Yeah. And so I thought while we're on this parable, it might be an instructive point to just kind of point this out. Like, there really are people who make the claim as atheists that, well, we can't trust the Bible because X, Y, Z. And they'll give more than this. But this is one of the things they'll point to. They'll say, well, Jesus is supposed to be God in the flesh, the Son of God. And here he is talking about, uh, he ought to know. He ought to know the smallest of all seeds is not the mustard seed. And so what do you do with that? And uh, similarly, there are people who compare uh, God to uh, Santa Claus and kind of make that, you know, that that sort of, well, if one's not real, then the other's not real and all of that. And I'm like, okay, well, um, first of all, like we need to slow down and 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 actually think about, <laughs> about what we're saying. Number one, 
the other explanation that I would give is that Jesus is not doing botany <laughs> here in this passage. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, he may be the son of God, but he was not a botanist and he was not trying to do botany, right? He's not trying to go in and actually make an examination. It's kind of like the, 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 the writer of Genesis who mentions a, a, a snake in the garden. The snake is a divine being. Okay. He, he's not doing biology. He's not trying to comment on, on the physical nature of snakes in that case. He is uh, pointing to something beyond that. And so the same with this. Jesus is making a practical and theological point. And he's making it in a way that they would understand in the context that they are actually in. And, and even t take away the historicity of it, take away that, let's just say um, there were no mustard seeds planted at that time. Let's just say it seems completely random. They use the mustard seed at it. There's is also a thing called like hyperbole. And like, if you, if you apply the same standard to this, everyone would be a liar when you say it's raining cats and dogs, that it was the biggest, it was the yeah. biggest mountain you've ever seen when there's maybe you've seen dozens of more. I mean, there's just so many different ways where this just, I guess you can call it an argument, just falls flat. Yeah, I I, I think it's called hyperbole. Uh, no, I say hyperbole? I am, hyperbole. I am, no, you're right. I am I, forever no, going to call it hyperbole from now it, on. That's it amazing. is 100% hyperbole. My brain had a, a dysfunction. Yeah. <laughs> hyperbole. No, it, it's all good. Hyperbole. <laughs> it, it's so great. Like, when I had a when I had a bowl cut back when I had hair, I feel like that's what people look like. They called that the hyperbole. I feel like um, I don't know. You had hair. I I, yeah, I don't I don't know not. what I don't know what it's called. I actually, um, my wife will will laugh at me sometimes for it. I will pronounce words super weird sometimes, even though I know the right way. And yeah. I think there's I I don't know if there's a word for it. If there is, I want someone to call me and tell me. But I will say words sometimes that make people look at me just go really weird. I don't know if there's yeah. a weird disconnect okay. there, but anyway. yeah. Well, well, I, I think one more thing that I actually, I'd actually like to um, yeah. mention about this is that again, beyond, beyond like the practical considerations, like something like hyperbole, and, and then beyond like the historical context, like maybe you didn't know anything about ancient, you know, um, Israel, and it's like, okay, well, I, I, you know, I don't know what they believed back then, and so uh, maybe you're not even thinking in those terms. Again, if you just read the text. That's a whole other layer of that where it's like it's like a, a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all that seeds, but when uh but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes like a tree. So again, it, it it's very much just read the text and look at the verse in its context. Um and in this case, the verse itself sort of gives you the explanation of what um Jesus is talking about. So yeah, he's not doing botany. It's historically accurate to what they would have believed and 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 thought based on where they were in history and like their immediate context around them. Um, and then also, yeah, if you just look at the text of of the verse, um, the context uh, makes sense. Um, also, I don't know. I'm kind of we're kind of rabbit holing deer here down like an apologetics trail real quick. But <laughs> it's I, fun. I, but I kind of. But I, I like this because that's uh, something that me and Alex are both passionate about as well. Um, believe it or not, I actually think this goes further than not presenting a challenge for the Bible. I actually think this strengthens um, the biblical witness. And you might wonder, well, how is that, Steve? And I'm glad you asked because it tells us and it confirms what is happening in other areas as well. It confirms that the biblical writer is writing from the perspective of what is of what information and knowledge is immediately available to them to work with 
based on their observations. And so we call this phenomenology, okay? Phenomenology. And it's the idea of basically writing things as you see them, um, of, of, of being the observer in a situation. So the observer in this situation or the observers in this situation noticed a seed that was smaller than all of the others and it was the mustard seed, okay? That's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because the Bible is not trying to do science. Such an important point. The Bible is a historical book. It's a theological book. It is not a science textbook, even if it makes statements that um, about a particular history that may lend itself to have scientific implications. For example, I am a young earth, young age creationist, not an old age creationist. So I don't believe that a big bang happened 13.8 billion years ago. Um, and so you're like, well, where do you get that from? Well, I think you can get there from the Bible, but that's a different topic for a different day. And that may have implications for how we understand things about science, but that it doesn't mean that the Bible is doing science ever at any point. That's, it's not what the Bible is trying to do. And so same thing is true here. When, when you see something written from the perspective of an observer, it's not trying to do science. Just to make it make a little more sense for you, consider Joshua chapter 10. Now, this is the famous passage in Joshua where they're fighting and a statement is made where the sun so, uh, stood still. Well, geocentrists have tried to argue for centuries now that the, uh, that the Bible is actually a geocentric document, right? Because it affirms this position and it would be impossible in a heliocentric model for the sun to stand still. Like we know that's not how um, the solar system works. And so, oh, don't you see the Bible teaches geocentrism? Well, again, it doesn't teach geocentrism. If you look from the perspective of the observer on Earth and you see what is happening and what happened in the sky was that the sun stayed in the same spot for a longer period of time than normal. And that is an observer-centric thing. That's what the observer saw. It's not making a statement about the physicality of how that happened. God can do miraculous things. Did he sort of suspend the rotation of the soul? I, don't, I have no idea. I'm not speculating on that, and neither is the Bible. It's just writing from the perspective of the observer. And so that use of phenomenology is helpful in many different cases to understand um, what their concerns were and what they were seeing and what they were doing. And so this tiny little parable is actually very instructive about a lot of interesting things that, that people often get wrong about trying to interpret and understand God's word. It is good. Um, just kind of reiterating what you're saying, but it, it is important to know that just because a verse says something in the Bible, it does not mean you can extrapolate this thing that we learned in biology or in geology, you know, in the last 50 or 100 years. And this is exactly what it's saying. Because like what Steve said, it's literally a mm -hmm. perspective of, hey, this is what happened, at least to the perspective of the observer. This is what they're looking at. And here's what happened in the story. Um, mm -hmm. Very, uh, yeah, very yeah. good words there, Steve. Yeah, it's insightful. So um, how about you maybe, uh, uh, since I've talked for a while, um, Maybe we have this little description written out. Maybe you just kind of read a description of, of what the parable is, is trying to say yeah, in plain words, and then we'll talk through some of the points and then, uh, and then wrap this one up. Yep. I think that sounds good. It's funny that uh, the, the actual mustard seed part probably take up at least half of this uh, <laughs> podcast episode, but I think it's a very important aspect. Um, but yeah, to yeah. the actual, I guess, um, meaning or purpose of the um, mustard seed. So in the parable of mustard seed, Jesus uses the imagery of a tiny mustard seed to illustrate the kingdom of heaven's nature and growth. He describes the mustard seed as the smallest of all seeds. Yet when planted, it grows into a large tree where birds come and find shelter in its branches. The simplicity of this analogy carries profound implications about the nature of faith, growth, and the expansive reach of God's kingdom. 
The mustard seed, despite its diminutive size, possesses the potential to grow into a great tree, providing not just physical growth, but also haven for creatures. Similar, the kingdom of heaven starts small, maybe even inconspicuous, but its influence grows to encompass it to it provide refuge for many. It's uh, you know what's interesting about that description is I've always, whenever I've, I've read this parable, I've always, I've always taken it as, okay, the kingdom of God, you know, starts out small, which just makes that, you just look at not even the Old Testament, but looking at where um, Jesus started the church in the New Testament, obviously it started small, started literally with Jesus, and then it grew to the apostles and then followers and grow and grow. I never really looked at the analogy of um, birds resting in it and being like kind of having that safe haven picture that always just kind yeah. of escaped me. So I think that's kind of an interesting perspective that I never looked at before. Yeah, right. Like, and and consider, um, it's interesting because this is this parable is not necessarily trying to do prophecy, and yet it's somewhat prophetic in nature if you think about it, right? Because yeah. of that that piece of it. The kingdom of heaven obviously started out very small, and I think there's an even larger point that we should probably go into just about um, um, God usually uses small things and makes them into great and mighty things. But in this case, specifically, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, which the, the kingdom of heaven, this is another point where there has been lots of theological debate. What's the kingdom of heaven? What's the kingdom of God? Are they the same thing? Are they different things? Um, and your hardcore, like, dispensationalist types are going to want to say that they're different things, whereas more covenantalist types are going to want to say that they're the same thing, just using different language. I don't really want to comment on that here, um, uh, mostly because I don't really have an opinion on this. I don't, ha I don't have a dog. <laughs> um, and, and I need to do more study on it myself uh, to kind of know where I, would, where I would land from a more you know, thoughtful point of view. Um, but what's interesting is, is that no doubt the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of heaven started small, and um, we know that the Christian faith actually grew in spite of immense persecution. It's really interesting because, like, the primary persecutor of Christian of Christians uh, in the early days was the Roman Empire, and now, like, you literally have Roman Catholicism. Like, in just a few hundred years' time, it's crazy. Um, yeah, like Christianity overtook Rome. Um, yeah. Really crazy to think about. And then, if you just sort of extend that um, um, prophetically. And you look at over the millennia what Christianity has done. I mean, not only just in terms of like bringing salvation and hope and restoration to the world, but even if you get into the practical details and nuance of um, of, of rescue programs like the Salvation Army and uh, Samaritan's Purse and things that have been done in the name of Christ for widows and children and in the sex trafficking world and just all these all these things. Sure. We're not going to ignore that there were things and acts committed over the over the millennia in the name of Christ that were not something that Christ would agree with. But in large measure, that's not the case. In large measure, this is why you have Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian hospitals. Like a lot of the goodwill and giving back and social causes, all of those things like grew out of a Christian worldview. And so it's really interesting to see that the small that the kingdom of heaven, which started really small has now grown into this large mustard uh, 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 tree that has actually provided covering and that protection for many, many people over the millennia, billions of, of people. Um, really amazing to see how that happened. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's, it's not just the tree itself is um, a bunch of churches with 
Christians in them, but the tree itself really encompasses, like what you're saying, like me and kind. And you can see its reaches through right. everything in life. And it's uh, it's really miraculous. Like like what you yeah. were saying, it didn't take very long for it to permeate throughout the Roman Empire. And it's just, it's insane how how quick it spread. Yeah, and like, again, this is Jesus not doing prophecy and yet doing prophecy, do, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, this is Jesus saying like, this is how the thing is and this is how it works. Now we get the benefit of hindsight. I mean, the, this was, the, you know, these words were spoken 2,000 plus years ago. And now in hindsight, we're looking back and we're seeing, oh my goodness, that happened, right? Yeah. He said that and it happened. Steve and I are going to do a podcast later on about what Jesus had to say about um, the parables that he spoke. But um, just to touch on it, very little. You almost put yourself in the apostles' shoes and what was crossing their mind when they heard that. Um, Because they even didn't, couldn't really, they didn't comprehend when Jesus died. Um, you know, that was a real big blow to them. And that was something that even like Jesus, like predicted himself <laughs> and they exactly. were, st- and they were still shocked by it. So something like this, I wonder, I just wonder what went through their minds. I mean, even if they grasped what, um, Jesus was saying to them, they just, obviously they, I just think that they were limited in what they could really see and picture growing to be. Well, yeah. And like, Obviously, in the context of this passage, like there's literally where you're at the point, kind of like the the high point, really, in Jesus's ministry, right, where you've got crowds of people following him, and 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 maybe they could start to see it like getting some traction, like you know maybe there's something here. But then certainly after the crucifixion and everything, it's like oh well, so much for that kingdom of heaven. Um, but then of course he comes back, he ascends, the spirit descends. 3,000 people get saved at Pentecost and it's on like Donkey Kong, right? And then, and then <laughs> yeah. the influence that starts to spread. That's what um, even, for every, they said. I bet they were The origin um, of Donkey Kong, ladies and gentlemen. Do, Donkey Kong was prophecy too. And so, um, you know, and, and so they, they really got to see that happening in real time. And even though it took centuries for that persecution to like let up, of course, there's still, there's still persecution. In, mm-hmm. Christian persecution is a real thing. Um, people persecuting Christians and literally being killed every single day all across the world. That's definitely still a thing. But like the fact that it became like the official religion of the, of, of the place where mm-hmm. it was primarily like the punishment was primarily coming down from is really insane. Um, so anyway, I, I think uh, for the sake of time, I really just have one kind of main big takeaway, I think, that I, I'd like to kind of go through with this and, and we can kind of toss back and forth. Um, and maybe maybe you say something about this first, but the, the kind of direction that I think um, um, like th- what this parable is really teaching is that is that God is is able to do a lot with a little. Um, and I see this all throughout the Old Testament. Israel itself is a small, seemingly insignificant nation that because of what God had intended for it and it's, it, you know, his plan for it through Abraham, we we have all become the, the book of Galatians says that we are, if we're in Christ, that we've all become the seed of Abraham. Some of my lights turned off. Um, anyway, I'll turn them back on in a minute. But we have, we have all become the, the seed of Abraham. So literally through this insignificant little nation of Israel, God has provided bountifully and, and, and blessed and provided a covering for people. I think, of, I think of King David, the little shepherd boy. I think of, I think of Gideon, you know, uh, an insignificant man who um, had gathered this huge army and God's like, yeah, that's not going to work and strips down his army to 300 people. And then, I mean, God is just in the habit of using small things and making, making them big 
instead mm-hmm. of using the bigger things in the world. And I just think that's such a beautiful thing that this parable mm-hmm. sort of condenses down and, and illustrates well. Yeah, small in, uh, small in numbers, examples you gave, and even Israel as a nation, um, you know, obviously there's, there's millions of Jews, um, but like it, comparatively to, all, to a lot of other nations, you know, they're small in comparison still relatively. And it's been like that forever. Um, and yeah, so that, that's a good example. Another thing that I kind of want to pull from it too is just, so obviously spiritually in your own life, where you're at in your growth, um, and what you want to do maybe as a ministry. Um, but even applicable to raising a family, starting a business or doing anything in life, this pattern kind of applies to everything, how it, it, you don't just get a million dollars. Well, some people do. You don't just get a million dollars and just and just go at it and be successful. You, that's skipping a lot of steps. Usually, it's something that starts small. Whether it's you're trying to start that business, or you're trying to save a college fund for your kid, or you're trying to, um, I don't know, have a plan for teaching them a work ethic. It usually follows a progression of starting small, and then it grows. And then in the end, you kind of reap the rewards from it, and it provides that shelter that's talked about there. Yeah. It's very true. And um, as you were saying that, that actually prompted a really interesting thought that kind of like circles us almost back around to the apologetics a little bit. Um, Because someone might want to say, well, okay, if this is sort of like a universally true principle, then maybe he wasn't doing prophecy. Maybe he was just saying something that's intuitively obvious. And so someone might want to point to, say, the uh, um, religion of Islam or something and say, well, Islam started out small and now it's growing and it's this huge thing. And so why doesn't this parable apply to um, Islam as well? And I think you can uh, sort of look at the details of how Islam grew versus how Christianity grew and sort of get some insight into how this works. Now, of course, it is sort of a general principle. Things typically do start small and get larger. So in that sense, yeah, okay, fine. It is sort of a general uh, principle. But certainly if you look at the details, again, it's certainly not true that with Islam, like people were basically just led peacefully through the comfort of like being able to accept this and like now they can find nesting in its branches and all that. Islam very obviously grew by the sword. And yes, there were periods of in in Christian, especially with the Spanish Inquisition and stuff like that, there were like, isolated pockets of people who did violent things in the name of Christ that he would have never, ever endorsed. But that's very relatively small when you're talking about the billions of people who have come to Christ over the years um, and, and being grown and spread as truly a religion of submission and of peace and of turn the other cheek and of, of actually living into the principles that Jesus taught instead of um, being manipulated and being you know forced into belief by the sword and all of that. So, um, yeah, you can look at it in specific instances, I think, and, and sort of get around that. Um, but certainly it's true that Jesus was talking about a, a general uh, a general principle here. It's, it's definitely proved true with Christianity, I think, more so than anything else. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. And specifically, I know you kind of apply it to the general, but when you do get back to the specifics of it, because someone might say, okay, well, there's other churches that have grown big. You know, it, obviously Islam is number one, but even other things. And it kind of applies, it kind of goes into the weeds a little bit with um, sometimes we see people who are doing bad that have like successful lights and we see how come those people are doing well and these people aren't. Well, 
again, kind of taking it back to what Christ is actually saying. He never, remember, he never says in these two verses that other false religions will not grow stronger powerful. Right. Like he, like he's not even, it's, sure. uh, he never rules out anything like bad happening in life. He is literally focused on one thing. And the one thing is, Hey, this kingdom, my kingdom is going to grow. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just because other kingdoms might come and go good, bad, evil, the main promise is that his is going to grow in. Obviously it has <laughs> like what you just said. Yeah, sure. And again, this is why the Bible is so cool because if you're looking at this again, in the historical context of when it was written, there were other people. Jesus was not the only one. Mm-hmm. There were other people who were claiming to be Messiah figures to the Jewish people. And who yeah. are they? You don't even know their names, right? <laughs> You've yeah. never heard of them before. And so, um, in, in fact, that is one of the primary, like the the traditional Orthodox Jewish response to the question of, okay, well, who was Jesus? Is is that he was just a Jewish rabbi who ended up being a failed Messiah, right? Who claimed to be a Messiah and actually was not the Messiah. Um, and why do they believe that? Well, because they were crucified at the hands of the Jewish people. And obviously they were making excuses even as early as the resurrection. Oh, well, the Jews must have sold the body or the, the you know, the, um, the Romans must have sold the body, et cetera, et cetera. Or not the Romans, the, the disciple must have sold the body. I'm going to learn how to talk tonight. And they, so they were literally making excuses for this whole thing. Um, from the very beginning. And so no, no slight against my, my, you know, like, I love you if you're Jewish, but um, it's like the Orthodox Jewish position, I'm just saying, is that Jesus was a failed Messiah figure who was a very influential rabbi. And it's like, well, clearly he wasn't. Uh, certainly he accomplished something because billions of people <laughs> have gotten saved over the years and claimed the name of Christ. Um, and yet these other uh, supposedly failed Messiah figures, you don't even know who they are. Um, and so it's definitely significant that in his context, he certainly outlasted those claims and, um, and he was right about Christianity. Yeah. Well said, Steve. Um, I don't think I really have anything else. That's kind of all my thoughts on it. Um, as long as you're good. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to stories of the week and, uh, I'll let you go first. Perfect. Uh, have you ever heard or seen the movie 12 Angry Men? I have not. It's been on my list for a long time. I think it came out in a box here. It's either like 58 or 68 or something, but it's an old movie. It's black and white. I think it's in the late wow. 50s. Anyway, it's, um, I don't have the description up, but it, basically it's a, it's a relatively short movie, 80 some minutes, I think. It's about a, a, a court case where some, uh, a boy, I don't know if, I don't know if he's, um, I forget if he's uh, black or Mexican or any, but he, he's got darker skin color and um, he's on trial for murder. You don't really see much of the quirky. You see the jurors going into the back room. And it's about these 12 uh, men and going around the first table the first time, 11 of them say that he's guilty pretty quickly, but one guy holds out and the whole movie is about just trying to convince, I guess, kind of convince everyone that this kid is uh, maybe not innocent, but definitely not guilty. And it's a really good movie. If you look it up on, I've been wanting to watch a while because if you look up on IMDb, it's like one of the into the top 10 movies like ever made it's got a super high thing and it's noted for being one of the best movies ever made so i said well something's got to be good with that and i will and it it is very good and after doing some research afterwards just because even though i I appreciate um film and i'm a huge movie fan i'm still i'm obviously not a director or you know i don't know film like other people and so it's interesting seeing the notes of how it was filmed certain ways throughout the movie to give like the perspective of the in of different things so Anyway, uh, definitely 
um, well worth uh, going to check out. It's a great movie. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. I feel like this time we actually have real stories of the week. Like they're actual <laughs> right, real, Yeah, real things. Real, real stories. Just whatever's going on. So that's kind of cool. Um, awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I will have to check that out. Although I have to admit, I have a hard time with old movies. Um, like I can't even bring myself to watch the Star Trek, like the original Star Trek series, even though I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Um, I was hesitant about 12 Angry Men because I will admit, I, I sometimes I've watched an old movie with the intention okay i'm definitely gonna like this and it just doesn't age well this one has aged quite well there's obviously moments where the emotions get high super quick and it's kind of typical back then but other than yeah. that it's um yeah very good i was very impressed sorry keep going okay you there. no you're good no that's perfect cool we'll check it out um okay so for me i read a book um this uh week I read it in two nights, which has never happened before. Um, this was definitely so. Again, some of you guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, you would know that I am not historically a fiction guy. Um, I have just ever since meeting Alex started getting into actually reading fiction and even watching more movies and stuff like that. And um, so, my buddy Jared uh, let me borrow this book called Dark Matter uh, by Blake Crouch, and it is just fantastic. Like I said, I read it in two nights total thriller page turner i've never had a book sort of do that to me before and i'm in the middle of reading some really really good stuff right now um um reading um reading uh, the um terminal list uh by jack carr i am reading mistborn by brandon sanderson um and uh, i feel like i've got another one going on too um that's slipping my mind oh i've, I've got a, a book about uh called noah a man of god um uh, which is a historical fiction about noah uh by tim not tim um yes tim tim chafee um and so anyway all those are great books but this one i literally i started it and i was like i can't put this down really good book um the description i do have that pulled up i'm going to read just a little bit of it are you happy with your life those are the last words jason Desson hears before the masked abductor knocks him unconscious before he awakens to find himself strapped to a gurney surrounded by strangers in hazmat suits before a man uh, before a man jason's never met smiles down at him and says, welcome back, my friend. In this world he's woken up to, Jason's life is not the one he knows. His wife is not his wife. His son was never born. And Jason is not an ordinary college physics professor, but a celebrated genius who has achieved something remarkable, something impossible. And then it goes on and on and on. And so that's, yeah, cool. that's intriguing. That description is great. It is a fantastic description. And the book, it's just line after line after line. It just reels you in like you're like like you're on the end of a of a fishing line or something. That's it's cool. really crazy. So fantastic book. Highly encourage you to read. Um, the book is actually going to be coming out as an Apple TV Plus series. Um, I hope soon. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it was just greenlit officially last year sometime, or maybe, maybe even early this year, like April of this year, it might have been greenlit. So I'm sure it's still got. Uh, a while to go before it reaches the masses as a as a TV series, but it is for sure happening, and so I'm really excited about that. But yeah, the book's absolutely fantastic. So um, it it just it kept it kept me going. It kept me going. Some lots of twists and turns. Just really good. Awesome. So Dark Matter by by Blake Crouch. Highly recommend. Cool. I think the uh, most exciting thing about tonight is finding out that you might have a second career as a uh, cartoon voiceover. So that's very yeah. exciting, Steve. I'm very How's happy. That, about right? that. I mean, I, I cannot I cannot wait to explore that. I feel like I need to go buy a web domain right now for that. Oh, you got and, it. Um, you got it. You got it. As as one does. And so, um, yeah, no, it's, as, it's, it's good. As Steve does. As Steve does. As, as Steve does. As Steve does, so now, does Steve. Yes, it's true. 
Yeah, it's been fun. Um, this was a, I actually, we went, uh, we talked more about this than I thought we would. Um, a lot packed into that uh, two small horses there. I'm telling you, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. It's it was a it was a um, it was like a mustard seed that turned into a big giant tree, mighty one, tree. It was amazing. One might say. <laughs> one All right, say. good talk. All right, to you. all right, y'all be good. Share the podcast. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. All that. We'll see y'all later. See ya.